This is the Law Podcasting Podcast, where you learn how to use modern media to get your message out and more good clients to your law practice. Here's your host, Gordon Firemark. Well, all right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Law Podcasting Podcast. As the guy said, I am your host, Gordon Firemark, and this is a show where I bring you information about how lawyers are using the power of podcasting to support and develop their businesses, even if their podcasts aren't specifically about the law or substantive legal matters. Now, my guest this time around is Michael Prywas, who is managing attorney of Prywas PC, a New York law firm devoted to serving artists and entrepreneurs. He's also the author of the upcoming legal guide for creative entrepreneurs called The Gasp. He hosts a podcast called How I Broke Into, which is what we'll talk about most of the time today. He's former president of To Life Films, LLC, which produced a comedy feature, Returning Mickey Stern. And after winning numerous awards in the U.S. and abroad, that film was distributed in theaters and abroad and is now available on DVD from Pathfinder Home Entertainment. Michael has served as an advisor to a number of production companies and film festivals. He's a tech enthusiast from the young age of five when he learned to program in basic on a, wow, on a TI-99 slash 4A. <laughs> That's a while back. Michael built the first globally crowdsourced audience voting entertainment site, Cast Our Movie, which was featured in the industry standard Time Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, and U.S. News & World Report. Now, on the legal side of the entertainment industry, Michael has served as law clerk, for new video group Docurama, now part of Cinedime, a distributor of the A&E, History, Scholastic, and other major uh, major league baseball labels. And he's worked for ASCAP uh, and the entertainment law firm of Edelman and Levaya. Michael's been involved in the drafting of agreements and negotiations with companies uh, guiding the future of media and technology convergence, Amazon, Unbox, Apple iTunes, Netflix, and so on. But we're here to talk about that podcast the show is called How I Broke Into. Michael, thank you for being with us. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Gordon. Yeah, you and I, we've been uh, friends and we've been talking almost every week for the last, what, year and a half or so? At, at least. Yeah. It's been it's been wonderful. And uh, it's about time I got you on the show to do this. So let's talk about How I Broke Into. Yeah, well, I love doing How I Broke Into. It's released every other week. It's an interview. It's a deep dive into the big breaks of artists and entrepreneurs. It has very little, if none, uh, legal content, mm -hmm. but it's been a wonderful experience for me. And I've been able to tie it into my practice because a, I get a lot of, uh, great stories and, and insights about various areas of, uh, of, business and artistry. Uh, but I also uh, have gotten to really develop wonderful relationships with a number of my guests who have referred me to other guests, have uh, referred clients to me. And uh, it's just been, it's been amazing. I only started in January and I never expected to do a podcast, but after talking to you for a long time, I think, uh, I think you're, uh, your love of podcasting definitely wore off on me. I've always loved listening to podcasts, but I really never thought about doing podcasts primarily because I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> okay. So, so you said you, you came to it first as a listener. I think that's the way most podcasters come to it. Talk about some of the shows that were your early, uh, 
connection to podcasting and influences? So I've actually been a podcast listener probably longer than most people. Um, As you mentioned earlier, I'm a huge tech enthusiast and uh, a gadget guy. Mm -hmm. And back in the early 2000s, I was really uh, anti-Apple and (laughs) anti-iPod. Okay, that's it. We're we're calling an end to that. (laughs) (laughs) I I now have an iPhone, but um, but at the time I was... I, I was really into various aspects of the law and and what how the law was developing mm-hmm. uh, and technology and I was really into things like slingbox and uh, I, yeah I was an early adopter of everything yeah and uh, I I loved this device called Arcos um, which w- had video that it, it had it had a capacitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, touchscreen or maybe it wasn't but it was it was awesome and uh and i loved it and it was so much better than the ipod and i got involved on all these online groups um related to the arcos and other technology like slingbox that i was really into and people uh talked about podcasts related to technology so i started listening to um CNET's podcast that they had a daily one. I can't even remember the name of it. it was with Molly Wood, yeah, and uh, Tom Merritt, and uh, and and I started listening to This Week in Tech, mm-hmm. and I was listening to I I got hooked. You know, first of all, the the Arcos could hold like uh, gigs of of uh, <laughs> of music and podcasts. They had a whole podcasting folder, so mm-hmm. I, I would just listen to that in the car on my commutes or in the uh, on the subway because mm-hmm. I lived in the city, and um, and I was hooked. I listened to Freakonomics, uh, um, and I've been so I've been listening to podcasts for uh, for probably close to a decade, if not mm-hmm. more. So um, I my. <clears throat> Favorite podcast, as you're well aware, is probably the number one podcast out there, and that's uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast. I listen to him religiously, um, even though his podcasts are two and a half hours. <laughs> I, I very often they are; they're uh, yeah. an hour and a half to two and a half hours, which is, seems nuts. But honestly, the I always feel edified after listening to his podcasts. And if I had to say I was modeling my own podcast after any, it would be his. That podcast, one of the great things about that podcast, it's filled with stories. It's not filled with sound bites. Mm-hmm. The The least interesting ones are the ones where y- you could find, quote, actionable information, you know, without actually listening. Here, uh, and I just mentioned to this, this week's is with Shep Gordon, who I hadn't even been familiar with, but is the subject of the documentary Supermensch. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm here I am driving in my car and tears are rolling down my face from laughing so hard. And yeah, I guess I could have gotten some really good quality information from it. But, you know, there's something to be said for enjoying listening to an interview. Sure, sure. I mean, the, the, you know, the radio business has been about that and television, frankly, they're, you know, going back a long way. So why not? And, um, uh, entertainment has value. Definitely. So. It does. So you started your podcast earlier this year. That was what January of this year. Yeah. I actually started, uh, started recording in December of last year, mm-hmm. but I released it, uh, the first week in January. Okay. And 
it's now every other week. It used to be every week, but I, that was just unsustainable with my practice. For, sure. In my opinion. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk a little more about workflow and, and that issue as well in a bit. So let's talk about uh, how you got started with the tech side of things. Now, you, you come from a film production background and... And as you said, you're a techie geek. So I, I'm assuming that you did your do-it-yourselfer on the setting up your studio. And that's that's absolutely correct. And and in fact, I don't. So my law firm just started uh, two years ago. Uh-huh. So I wasn't really thinking about setting up a podcast because I really felt like it was too much work. Mm-hmm. And so in in talking to you and talking to other people and listening to other podcasts such as, you know, Pat Flynn's Mm or, um, um, uh, John Lee Dumas's, you know, the people who have really gotten a lot of recognition for their podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it became clear to me that you didn't have, and even Tim Ferriss, you don't have to have a major setup. Uh, so I, I just decided to do it in my office I decided to get the ATR 2100 because uh, because uh, that had both the USB and the XLR. Um, I, I didn't just do any soundproofing other than um, every time I do it, I take all the all the couch cushions in my office and put them against behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, it works. It, it dampens the sound, mm-hmm. and um, and I a few weeks later. I got a, a I got a H5 Zoom mm-hmm. recorder, but other than that, I um, I was working on Audacity, and which is free. Mm-hmm. I, I have a PC, um, although the, I I can see the lure of Mac, especially with <laughs> podcasting. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, I recorded um, I, I when I do over the computer, I do it through Skype, and I use Pamela, uh, but I've had problems with Pamela and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but that's one of the reasons why I got the recorder yeah. was to have more backup. Mm-hmm. So for those that don't know, the zoom H five is a dig- personal digital recording device that allows you to, you know, record outside the computer and, um, uh, is one of the fail safe methods that we use to make sure we get a clean recording. Yeah. And in fact, I wasn't so sure. uh, I think you may remember this. I wasn't so sure how the backup would occur Mm -hmm. with the H5 um, and Pamela running together. But it's actually been pretty smooth. And even when Pamela fails, uh, I I haven't had any failures with the H5 anymore. So you still record in Pamela as well each time? Yes. Because... So one of the things that I've, I've dealt with is um, uh, is I, I take the input from the um, oh god from from the headphones mm-hmm. where the where the speakers go yeah. and put it into the H five mm-hmm. um, and there's usually a high pitched sound mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that I hear through the headphones that obviously isn't recorded in Pamela but it is recorded on the H five but of course I'm I'm recording a little pre-roll, so I I, I just noise reduce that because sure. it's of a specific frequency. Yeah. yeah. So did you what when you were getting set up? I mean, obviously there is some technical stuff involved in setting things up. Did you refer to some outside sources, or I mean, where'd you where'd you get your knowledge that you needed to get everything 
organized with RSS feeds and that kind of stuff? Um, that's a really good question. I, I spoke to w one VA mm -hmm. who swore by she, I mean, her job was to, uh, was to put together, um, just show notes and, and edits of, of, uh, of any podcast. Sure. Like she, she, that's, that was her job for different podcasters. Mm -hmm. And she said, it is so easy. And she said, you just, just get a Libsyn account mm -hmm. and, and you had mentioned blueberry and uh and somebody else had mentioned soundcloud to me and and every time somebody recommends something i go down a rabbit hole yeah um <laughs> and usually <laughs> usually at night when um when um my wife and kids are asleep i you know i will just do that exploratory research and it's funny because you know i bet if you set up uh a website to do this somebody would make a killing on this i i used to play fantasy football mm -hmm. and i used to use this website called fantasy pros because what it would do it would take all the experts information mm -hmm. and and put it into grid fashion so you would know the the percentage who were in favor of of this player yeah. versus that player and uh, and their drafts and it was in such a grid-like fashion mm -hmm. that you could accumulate the knowledge and sift through it very easily and decide which experts were most likely well, to be that correct. would be too much too easy and no and take all the fun out of it wouldn't it and no it would have an aggregator for that <laughs> kind of thing yeah so you know it, it wasn't like you know some people advocated for the road what is it stratocaster you know, or something Pod, like the road podcast podcaster yeah. uh sorry <laughs> um <laughs> but uh but the majority of people recommended the 2100 mm. and then of course you balance uh the cost um i i still to this day don't have anything other than the 2100 and the recorder i don't have a mixing board mm -hmm. i haven't felt the need for it yeah. um uh, now granted i've got technical skills so i mm -hmm. i know how to make adjustments in audacity i i know people say that it's a, a complex thing i think it's really easy mm -hmm. Yeah, well, as you know, I mean, it's a simple audio editor with a lot of functionality if you want to get into it. But the, for basic recording and editing, it, it's it does the job, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It does. And I, I don't. I'm sure I can make it better. But I, you know, I'm like you. Um, it's better done than perfect. Yep. <laughs> so, what was the hardest part or most challenging part of getting things up and running? Mm. The most challenging part in the beginning was doing it just get you know making the commitment and saying um, this is what i'm doing getting out and, of your own way and, well yeah it's it's easy to to prioritize other things mm -hmm. and then once i decided to do it i had an idea of a few people like the first two or three people that i'd like to interview but I had no idea if they would go along with it. the the first um, the first my first interviewee was somebody who I'd been in contact with on Facebook, but she went to college with me. She's a television writer, mm -hmm. and I knew her well. And I but from twenty years ago, but I knew she was a funny person. She was a she was a comedy writer, so I I knew she had a great personality, and she would be really great over the audio um but from there I, I i was unsure you know i i actually 
having come uh, having come to law as a second career, as I'm sure some of your guests do, um, I've got a very windy uh, networking background. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I just was thinking of all the different people I'd love to interview. And what's really interesting is that even tech savvy people, even media savvy people, most of them have never done a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you go about selecting and, and reaching out to your guests now? Still, you still working from your own pool of networking contacts or are you going broader? Um, Every single person I've interviewed has been from a pool of networking contacts, but maybe second or third degree. Okay. So, you know, um, so to give you an idea, you know, some are personal friends, but our second interview came from my first interview. I interviewed Bonnie Landrum, who's a television writer, and she said, would you like to interview uh, an Emmy Award winning composer? I'm like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my law school friends asked me if I'd like to, uh, interview perhaps the world's best ballet dancer who wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I've had a lot of that. Um, I, and I've gone to people who have been, you know, who are well known. Um, and it hasn't been that hard, but it's always been through referral. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a friend of mine, I noticed a friend of mine posted on Facebook And there was a post from Hal Elrod, the writer of Miracle Morning. And I wrote to my friend Jeffrey and I said, Jeffrey, I I see that you're personal friends with Hal Elrod. Could you make an introduction? And and he said, sure. Um, How would you like me to introduce you? So I I I gave him a little thing. And and sure enough, you know, Hal said, sure. And, you know, I posted when I did one season, actually, per your advice, because I, I wanted to take a little break, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want it to feel unnatural. So I had my, each season being 12 episodes. And um, before my second season, I, I put it out on Facebook um, that I was looking for more top flight guests. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so one of my cousins uh, referred me to two of my guests, and one of whom is Melissa Garcia, who's the fashion style, celebrity fashion stylist for um, for the Today Show, which is great. Yeah. Well, th- this was her first podcast, and she knew very little about podcasting, mm-hmm. um, even though she's got a tremendous following on Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. Yeah. It's it's really fascinating to me that people who are so successful um who are so in the media um are still really learning about podcasting today sure now how do you deal with the i mean is there a technical hurdle with getting someone like that to hook up skype and have good sound and that kind of stuff Uh, so it's interesting so i've 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 I actually interviewed Melissa in person and uh, I brought my recorder. We actually recorded in central park. Oh, cool. Um, We were going to record in a coffee shop and it was just too distracting. And, um, and she had some place to go and I had some place to go. So we went to central park and it was wonderful. It was very relaxed. And, uh, and I really actually much prefer interviewing in person Mm -hmm. because there's the eye contact. It, it, It feels like, it feels like a real, you know, sit down, cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, the more difficult things for me have been with older guests. I've had one guest who's in his, I believe in his sixties yeah, and another sure. guest who's in her eighties. 
um, the guests in her 80s forget about trying Skype. Right, right. Um, but my guest who was in his 60s um, couldn't do Skype, so he did FaceTime mm -hmm. through the phone. Yeah. So I connecting <laughs> my phone to the, the quality of sound just yeah. wasn't, you know, on my side, it was great. Mm -hmm. uh, on his side, it was not. Um, and we actually had to re-record that. Mm, I see. So talk a little bit about the workflow that you have. I mean, you know, from everything from reaching out to the guest through, you know, how much prep do you do? What kind of prep before your interviews? Yes. Yeah, so I get in touch with my guests, I, I would say a month and a half, two months in advance mm -hmm. of their interview. And I, and I stack them. Sure. So, so I, I will have within the course of a few weeks, I may have three or four interviews and then, and then just not mm -hmm. deal with that. So I, I, I try to short batch it, so to speak, sure. where, um, and, um, after I, after I nail down a time and a day, and I have to say that I, I really try hard, although it's, it's difficult as an attorney and also mm -hmm. somebody who I actually live on Long Island. I, work primarily on Long Island, mm -hmm. so I don't go into the city that often, uh, but I try to work around a, a guest schedule sure. because these guests, in my opinion, could be on Tim Ferriss's show. Mm -hmm. they, these are really just, in my opinion, these are people who who are well-known and, and, and especially in their industries and, and they're highly successful. So I, I have to consider um, working around their schedules and very often i'm doing that with their assistants sure um so and and the, you know some of them have like the scheduling apps yeah, yeah which i'm not a big fan of but you know as you as you and i've discussed mm -hmm. in the past um but in preparation i i just google everything i go online i i read everything about them mm -hmm. uh if they've written a book i try to get that book uh usually the kindle version because mm -hmm. that's instantly downloadable um and yeah i really do as much research as i can and like i said i'm very good and very fast with researching but i can also get drawn down a rabbit hole <laughs> sure but, but the great thing about it is is that once you're doing this research you actually really feel a connection to the person before you've even interviewed them yeah so i do the interview these interviews the shortest one was Hal Elrod because I, I he did have a hard break uh, with, I think it was a half hour and we actually mm -hmm. went over. Yeah. Um, um, my longest has been like an hour and 40 minutes. Um, they really could go longer to be frank. Uh, and and it's, it's funny when uh, almost everybody I've done the podcasts with has said, wow, that was really just like having a great conversation. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I can't believe how much time passed. Like it, it's really, it really is when, when it's let the person do their thing. Um, it, it, they really like, they really like talking. I mean, in general, people like talking about what they do, what they're passionate about. And it's, I mean, here I am. Uh, I, I love talking about podcasting. And you don't need to you don't need to throw too much out there for them. Um, I, I've mentioned this to you before. I 
I worked as a trial attorney for a long time and I conducted a lot of depositions mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and really I tried to say as little as possible. Sure. <laughs> let them, well, in the deposition, it's give them the rope and let them do what they will. That's with right. <laughs> okay. So you, you mentioned earlier that one of your big challenges was your dislike of the sound of your own voice. How did you mm -hmm. deal with that and overcome it? Um, well, the reality, the reality is, is that I haven't overcome it. I still dislike the sound okay. of my own voice. Um, right now you're hearing ums and errs, and I've got plenty of them when I record, but this is one of the great things about being technologically literate and listening. I do all the listening of my podcasts. I mm -hmm. cut a good portion of them out when I edit. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't do that to the to my guests, but I do want to sound a little more competent than perhaps I am <laughs> as as a podcaster. <laughs> so being erudite is an illusion, is what you're saying? <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe I'm projecting a little less uh, thoughtfulness than is really going on there, but uh, I it, I think it pushes it along mm -hmm. because I don't. I personally don't think I need all my ums and errs in there anyhow. Mm -hmm. um, there you go. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and one of the problems with having been a trial attorney and conducting depositions is that I stay silent during depositions Yeah. and pause. And my wife says that ever since I became an attorney, I became much more deliberative in my speaking and more halted and, she, you know, to me, I can't stand the sound of that, so I try to make it a little more smooth. I, I, I think I have a fine voice in terms of I don't have an unusual voice. I have a relatively deep voice, not like booming and <laughs> and robust like yours, but still, I, I think I have a fine uh, audio voice. For me, what I hate hearing are the ums and the errs and the, and the little, I don't even know what you'd call it, and I still haven't gotten over that, but... Like I said, I let other people talk most of the yeah. time and try to have me on audio as little as possible. <laughs> well, I think that's a sign of a good interview is let the other person talk. And and I do think that the pauses, I mean, it sounds like you, you tend to truncate those pauses when you can and, and that kind of stuff. So it sounds like a little more of a, um, well, I'll say it's, it's a little, I think it's a little less natural when it's too tight. So you, you know, you're an editor, you have to, you, you've had experience in that. So you have a sense of, of, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, for a lot of people, I think the authenticity of who we are can come through in a podcast. And if you say, um, in your speech, when you're holding a thought or waiting for the next one to arrive, <laughs> you, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with including that in the show. Uh, again, yes. those of us that are noticing that about ourselves are probably already doing better than the average person who ums and ahs all the, all the time in their speech. So, and I don't disagree with you. I, and my approach, it's true with also filmmaking and film producing. Mm -hmm. When you, if you are going to have to focus like frame by frame, you're mm -hmm. going to focus in the beginning and the end. Yep. So at, by the time I'm five, 10 minutes in, I'm not getting rid of the ums mm -hmm. and errs very much. And generally okay. I'm not, I'm not doing them very much either. Great. So you do some post-production, the, the editing, is there any, I mean, do you edit for content as well? Do you, do you cut out 
chunks of the conversation or if you had that hour and 40 minute long conversation is that an episode that's closer to an hour and a half long than a 30 minute episode or do you stick to a more rigid format for the show i almost never get rid of content and there there are only two reasons i would do or three reasons Mm -hmm. one a technical problem Mm -hmm. uh which happens or some sort of disruption i count that as technical two if somebody asks me to take something out sure i will Mm -hmm. and three if i hear something in my opinion i'm not a journalist Mm -hmm. um and and i i'm very actively promoting these people Mm -hmm. every so often without giving names people say things that they really shouldn't have Mm -hmm. and whether they think they should have or shouldn't have (laughs) Yeah. I know in my heart that it will it will make them a little less likable sure. or identifiable or um or understandable whatever it may be. Yeah. I have cut things out. Okay. Um th- that nobody look it, you know cutting an audacity is really easy because mm-hmm. you see the sound waves. <laughs> you right. just lift them out. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about the the relationship of your show to your business as a lawyer and how has the show, first of all, do you consider it part of your business or is it something separate in your view? It's funny because technically I I think it's becoming separated from my business Mm -hmm. in the sense that, so I promote it all through the website for the business for okay. the, and you know, that's New York startup attorneys.com. Uh, originally, um, yes, well, I got to throw that out there. It'll um, be in the show notes. <laughs> um, so I still have it coming from that, although it's got its own domain name with that's just right now goes to the Libsyn site, but mm-hmm. I, I generally write a blog about it. I try to relate sure. what I've learned in the interview with how I serve my clients Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I serve artists and entrepreneurs. I I've just either interviewed an artist or an entrepreneur and, and try to draw relevance for my business. That, that being said, if I I don't see this right now as a moneymaker, I haven't tried to make it a moneymaker as you as we've discussed before, I've got a book coming out. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling a lot of my content will have to be separate from my practice mm-hmm. because I think in in sticking with New York ethical rules, I think that when you're drawing income revenue from from things that are not directly related to your law practice, it's it's a good idea to create distinct silos. Sure. Uh, well, and, but uh, but I do think that the the how I broke into brand and the New York startup attorneys brand, there is a consistency there in the in the nature of the of the audience, I guess you could say, and likewise with the book. Yes, so, and I have to say, for me, and this is just my opinion, uh, uh, it's it's client facing, it's consumer facing, mm-hmm. and by being client-facing, consumer-facing, I feel like I have a lot more latitude with my with my podcast because, I mean, I, my latest my latest episode is the founder of the Cheesemonger Invitational. I know nothing about cheese. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know something about 
supporting uh, people in the food industry, mm-hmm. uh, specifically artisanally. But the reality is that I feel like I would be, I would get bored if I just had it about a practice area or I just had it sure. about one thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's, and frankly, I'm trying to make it entertaining too. Mm-hmm. Who's the avatar audience for your show? Describe that a little bit for me. <laughs> um, the avatar audience for my show, I think, is somebody who aspires to launch a big business mm-hmm. uh, from a small business and a creative business. Okay. So, for instance, because I think I think most of these people I've interviewed, well, every single one of them is a success in their own right. Although most of them never feel like they've arrived. Even the 85-year-old, 83-year-old sculptor who's mm-hmm. in the Smithsonian, she doesn't, you know, she's got work to do. And that's the way creatives are. They, they, you know, if you're, if you're pushing yourself and to be the best, you're, you're never going to arrive per se. So my avatar is my ideal client who is somebody who's got a great idea uh who's got a great work ethic who uh who recognizes that uh that creativity and business are not mutually exclusive mm-hmm. and they can get a lot of good ideas and good stories and i think the number one uh number one thing that can be drawn from every one of these is that there it these stories people even the overnight successes of, of my 20 interviews so far, uh, only one of them, uh, only two of whom have become overnight successes and they lost that success relatively quickly. Ah, interesting. Uh, but in general, I had Naomi Grossman from uh, American Horror Story mm-hmm. and it took her 20 years to uh, to reach number one on IMDb. You know, uh, so it, it, these are long twisted stories people have to recognize that if they want to be an entrepreneur or they want to be a successful artist they can't just expect to do it overnight or even in one year okay okay so why do you think podcasting is such an effective medium i think it's intimate Mm -hmm. The the funny thing is is that you really get to know personalities. Like I told you, I've been listening to this week in tech for years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably a decade. I I feel like I know Leo Laporte. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I listen to this week in law. I, I I hear return lawyers speaking on this week in law. I. Yeah you get to know these personalities. And in fact, even when I met you, I, I listened to your podcast first. Mm-hmm. I, I was referred to you for your newsletter, but I actually started listening to your podcast and it was, so I, even before we met each other, I felt like I knew you, I knew your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think people really want to know other people's personalities. They, they want to know with whom they're dealing. I mean, and, and even if you edit like I do with the ums and errs, you can still get the sense of who this person is. And, and part of it is how they produce their show. You know, I I think the production of the show itself is a reflection of the personality. 
Mm-hmm. And certainly what people care about. And I, I do believe, and I, I'm, I'm a big believer in technology. I, I'm, I'm not one of those apocalyptic types or, <laughs> or dystopian future. I, I'm like Kevin Kelly. I, I just, I love the idea that we're headed towards a more uplifting future through technology. Mm-hmm. And I believe that with social media, for instance, it depends on social media. I've told you this before with Facebook, before Facebook, you didn't know what was going on in people's minds all mm-hmm. the time. The people you care about, what what the, what motivates them. And it's the same thing here. You know, you're a reflection of what you do. And if you're doing your podcast about a given topic and you're using certain uh, colloquialisms and 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 uh, and you've got certain uh, certain things that really preoccupy you, mm-hmm. well, that's who you are. Sure. Okay. So do you have a favorite moment from your podcasting experiences so far? Oh, yes. Uh, and it's funny because uh, the sound quality is not very good on this. But I, I mentioned Brooklyn Mac, who's probably the maybe the best uh, ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. And I, sometimes I do audio interviews and I don't see the person. In this case, he did it. He did Skyping from his phone, mm-hmm. which I was not pleased with. And <laughs> this, right, the sound quality isn't great. But to hear him speak about what it was like to perform at Millennium Park before 12,000 people yeah. and to go up in the air and, and, and to, when he, his his face lit up and I, all i could say on my podcast is you can't see this right now and this is one of the few times i wish this wasn't an audio podcast because his face is lighting up and to see and and when you get an because he's an elite athlete and an elite artist and and i got this also from interviewing rhoda Sherbell, who's the sculptor i mentioned yeah when you hear them talk about their art, and in this case, when you talk, hear him talk about not just his art, but his athleticism, he talked about the one time he fell, and he described it like the Matrix, huh. where he was, it, where everything happened in slow motion, and he could see it happen, mm-hmm. and he said it, it must have been 20 or 30 seconds, and he, he he's going on, and he must be taking 10 minutes to tell what happened in ultimately a half a second. Yeah. But from his perspective, that's how it worked. Like it, and you hear this about great athletes. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they the the stitches of the ball come into view if they're a baseball player, and mm-hmm. they see how the the whole ball field is laid out before them. They're telling a story audiologically, but I'm seeing their faces, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's almost like a certain treasure that I can't share with my audience. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that I, I, I got that exposure to it. That's really fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Flip, flip the coin. Worst nightmare moment. During a, a podcast? Well, just, just that has come up in connection with your podcast. <laughs> well, um, I just lost an entire podcast interview recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I overrode it on my Zoom Ooh. H5. And this was... This was such a fantastic interview, and I, I, I went into Washington Heights to meet with this 
phenomenal photographer named Jordan Matter, who uh, who Alan Cumming uh, used his photography for the cover of his album and talked about it on Seth Meyers. And he's got this incredible book coming out called uh, Dancers After Dark. Mm-hmm. So we, we are going to record it again. But I went to Washington Heights, which is where my father grew up. I had never been there before. I met Jordan for the first time. It was he, he loved it. He had never done a podcast interview. And I ended up losing that podcast. Oh, yeah. And having to send him a text message about it was just like, I mean, it was just so apologetic mm-hmm. um, because he, he was on vacation. And he wrote back, well, I guess this is serendipity. When mm. can you... When can you record again? Which was so forgiving and so wonderful, but I got to tell you, and that wasn't the first time I've, that was the first time I've lost an entire interview, Mm -hmm. but I have lost portions of interviews due to Pamela, Mm -hmm. um, which is why I ended up getting the Zoom H5 in the first place. This is my first time overwriting uh, and I just screwed up. So, (laughs) all right. Well, last question, uh, just real quick. What kind of advice would you offer to, another lawyer who's considering starting out in podcasting open open yourself to thinking about who your audience will be and think beyond what your practice area is think beyond uh what you've heard before i would say think about what you would want to listen to on a weekly or month monthly basis i love your uh, entertainment law podcast and uh, and you know because it's out there i don't need to do it uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it's that good um but thank you I, I don't i don't hear you're welcome i don't hear a lot of other podcasts that uh make me feel the way a tim ferris interview does and and that's what i want from my podcast so i would recommend that a lawyer not just say i have to have a law podcast mm-hmm. well think about who who's going to want to listen to a law podcast you better make it really good like i'll tell you another law podcast that i've been listening to is undisclosed mm-hmm. which is uh which is the people who are advocating on behalf of Adnan Syed from Serial. And now they've got season two and John Cryer is involved, which is kind of strange. Yeah. But um, but this is a Georgia Innocence Project case. Mm-hmm. And now they're doing essentially what Serial tried to do, but less even-handedly. They're, 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 it's pure advocacy and it's wonderful. Interesting. And well, it's I'm great to hear the law. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Okay. Well, listen, this has been really terrific. It's been great talking to you this way. We, we speak almost every week, but <laughs> this has been different and I've gotten a lot out of it. I've learned a lot and I think the listeners have gotten a lot of great uh, insight as well. And so I'm grateful to you. Thank you for Thank joining you. me here. Uh, how can listeners reach you if they want to reach out? Well, I, I'm at newyorkstartupattorneys.com. I'm on Twitter, although I don't use Twitter that much. I'm on Facebook a lot. Um, I uh, am on Instagram and generally my last name is P-R-Y-W-E-S. So if you look up Michael Prywis, you usually can find me, although that there's a fake Michael Prywis out there that I've talked to you about. <laughs> that's, that's not me. Uh, but, but 
yes, NewYorkStartupAttorneys.com has all of my social media. You can drop me an email. I, I love to hear from people. All right. Well, let's say also thank you to the listeners. Please do take a moment and send us comments and suggestions on the website. It's lawpodcaster.com. And uh, if you'd be so kind as to give us a glowing review in the iTunes store or the uh, uh, Google Play or wherever else you find our podcast and and, uh, subscribe, that would be uh, terrific. I'd be very grateful. And with that, I'm going to say that about wraps it up for this episode of the Law Podcasting Podcast. If you are interested in podcasting for your practice, head on over to lawpodcasting.com where we have the Power of Podcasting for Lawyers course available. And I can send you a free resource guide. Until next time. Keep on podcasting.